Greetings, Meltopians. If you've become enthralled by the dark wastes and nightscapes of Meltopia, and want to further explore its Stygian depths, consider joining our Patreon. For $2 a month, you could become a Meltopian and gain access to the darkest artworks, as well as written mythos pieces contained in the Melgrim, entries in Meltopia's own dark encyclopedia, and the legendary Corpus Diabolos, an elite publication containing essays written by the most esteemed dark scholars. For $5 a month, become a feared mailsayer and gain early access to episodes on the Meltopia and Sleepwake Cycle podcasts, and listen to new episodes of our audio series, Tales of Meltopia, The Lost Library, and The Weird Book. And for $10 a month, join the ranks of the Melsapien, where you can listen to our Patreon-exclusive podcast, October's Children, as well as gain access to found recordings discovered throughout the world in The Weird Tapes. But if you're not ready to delve into the pitch just yet, and would rather swim the shallows to test the blackened waters, you can explore our public page which contains our entire backlog of Tales of Meltopia, The Lost Library, and The Weird Book, episodes from the Meltopia podcast, which all together number over a hundred episodes. So, whether you want to become a full denizen of the dark, or simply peruse the public archives, come visit us at patreon.com forward slash Meltopia. That's M-A-E-L- T-O-P-I-A. Now, without further ado, enjoy the show. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details.
All I'm saying is that you're supposed to be a prognosticator of the highest order. I just thought you would see something like this coming as all. Being a seer is one thing. Being omniscient is another. I can only say what the shadows tell me, Ink Dragon. And I haven't had much time to do another shadow casting, now have I? Perhaps you missed something in the shadows that could have prevented all this. <laughs> Are you trying to tell me that I, a Moffat, a master of shadow casting, a craft my family has honed over centuries, misinterpreted the lantern's dancing silhouettes? Perhaps I should start questioning your craft, question your inky little transcriptions. Perhaps in our recent moments of duress, you should have shut out that ink of yours and blinded our enemies, allowing us to get away. What do you think I am? A squid? An octopus shoots ink, you fool, not a squid. You'd think you would have learned that in all those books you've supposedly read. Or do you just dribble your ink onto the page and then forget about it? I assure you that nearly all cephalopods shoot ink, you arrogant fool. Including the squid. I didn't read that in a book. I've read that self-same fact in many books. I'm just wondering if a Kerwin wouldn't have been better for the job. That is the Kerwin card. A feeble attempt to use the animosity between our families to get some kind of rise out of me. It won't work, however. If there's one thing Moffats have learned, it is patience. Well, it certainly isn't telling the future, now is it? Or a basic understanding of marine biology? Perhaps they should learn more of that. Says the man who stands living and breathing only because I was able to warn him of impending danger he otherwise would have fell prey to. Twice. Funny, I can't recall when the translation of a book saved my life. Before Vorin could issue an equally sharp retort, he heard steps nearing the outside of the room they were pent in. At first, he figured this was it. Their executioner had come to gather their heads. But then a brief commotion sounded. A struggle. Silence followed, an ominous quiet that drifted through their cell like a coiling mist. After a few moments, keys jingled, working the lock. The heavy wooden door creaked open, and two mutated bodies fell into the room, the guards posted at the door. One's head had been cleanly severed from his neck while the other's entrails decorated the hallway like red Christmas garland. A horrible-looking thing stepped out from the shadows and into the dim candlelight illuminating the room. The first thing Vorin noticed was its eyes, like shining silver dollars, exuding a kind of lunar incandescence. The thing's head was home to a motley of barbed tendrils that moved and articulated with the delicacy of exploring fingers. A wide grin cut across its face, sharp, elongated canines displayed prominently amongst its more prosaic rows of teeth. 
Its face was pale and gaunt, but covered in black tattoos that, upon closer inspection, moved ever so subtly. The creature's body was lean but well-muscled, and it wore a long tan-colored coat that seemed sewn from the hides of various animals, giving it a patchwork appearance. It sauntered into the room, and the two prisoners instinctively backed themselves against the far wall. It paused, staring at the two of them in what seemed to be astonishment. Then, the thing turned its head and said something in that alien tongue, as if it were talking to someone in the hall. Vorin could hear hesitant footsteps making their way to the threshold. Until at last, Wesley appeared at the door. Wesley? How the... Uh, don't ask, it's... It's a long story. Who... Who is that? Oh, that's, uh... You know what, that, that's a good question. Wesley turned toward his newfound companion, the Bloodkeeper. Uh, what's your name? I, I mean your real name. The Bloodkeeper smiled. It's been so long since I've needed to say it. Though, I sometimes like to whisper it into the ear of those I've called... Just a bit of garnish, you might say. One should take pride in their work, after all. But my name is Esmere. Esmere of the Drifting Wastes. Wesley looked to Vorin and Moffat. Uh, his name is Esmere. He helped me escape. Then I told him about you two, and, um, well, he was willing to help. Is he dangerous? Uh, yes. Uh, very much so. Uh, exceedingly so, in fact. Is he like the others, the town's inhabitants? Uh, he's probably worse. Yeah, I'd, I'd definitely say worse, but, um, he has no interest in killing us, so... Well, how do you know that? Now, look, it's it's hard to explain. He's, he's got this blood collection thing he does, and he thinks we're signs from the serpent, and fuck, it doesn't matter. You, you just have to trust me. You want out or not? Moffat and Wesley shared a glance before scrambling to their feet. Oh, and by the way, Vorn's right. Squid and octopus can both shoot ink. Well, how do you know? I'm a biologist, remember? Vorn gave Moffat a meaningful look, but the seer just shook his head, letting out a huff of exasperation mixed with a hint of disgust. How wonderfully odd. <laughs> None of you share his blood. You must indeed be creatures from outside the coil, sent to me to make sure I do the good work of my lord. How delightfully, Outre! Wesley nodded in agreement, despite not knowing what the man, creature, was going on about. Esmir unceremoniously stepped back over the corpses of the two mutants he had dispatched and started down the winding hallway, the muted flames of lit sconces barely able to catch his fleeting shadow. The triad of men followed, unaware of where the killer was leading them. They slipped through a series of black stone corridors, keeping to the shadows as they went. On the occasion Esmir would come across a wandering guard, or just an occupant of the house, there was no way to tell the difference really, he would kill them with the grace and brevity of a whisper. That wasn't to say he did so without a mess only that their insides and severed limbs hit the floor without a sound. Wesley could tell he had a penchant for the dramatic, 
going about his work in the same way a dancer might spin and pirouette across a stage. He clearly had no care if someone found the bodies, as he left them in the most gruesome states of disarray, making the place look more like an abattoir than the home of a magnate. Wesley got the sense that he was showing off, given that Esmere believed he and his friends were emissaries of his god. It only made sense that he would want to make a good impression on them and assure the serpent of his capacity to finish his mission. Eventually, the four reached the mansion proper, opening a conveniently quiet door and slipping into what looked like a den. Strange furnishings bedecked the room, with something resembling a giant couch at its center. Its back, a rail of worming spinal cords braced by inhuman skulls at each end. The rest was made from some kind of leather, a patchwork of varying skins stitched together for the comfort of something gigantic and terrible. Numerous paintings lined the walls, each grim and alien. Some depicted macabre spectacles of torture, while others comprised dreadful landscapes, places Wesley couldn't imagine anyone living. But if biology had taught him anything, there was always some form of life that could make hell hospitable. One of the pictures caught his eye, Warped and mangled bodies, all sewn into hideous tapestries that hung and flapped from a city's walls and towers. In some cases, the bodies were fused with the stone itself, making it difficult to tell man from Earth. It looked just like the second research site. Esmer, what, uh, what is that depiction of? Ah, that is Orgoth, otherwise known as the Ruins of Old Bazaran. You see, long ago it was said to be an impenetrable fortress that even the prince's armies could not overtake. But our lord was not dissuaded. The prince gave the king of Bazaran three days to surrender, or he would visit an unfathomable doom upon the city. In his arrogance, the king ignored the warning. On the third day, the prince's armies left the gates of Bazaran, and the king thought himself victorious. The people rejoiced holding a great celebration for their fearless monarch. But it was upon the dawn of that night that the sky suddenly turned dark, and the winds bellowed with a million screams. A storm of indescribable horror descended upon the great city. Black lightning crowned its towers. Thunder echoed the pain of gods and devils alike, and terrible things appeared in the tempest, performing unnameable cruelties upon the once elated people of Bazaran. When the night was over and the storm had passed, the rising sun showed upon a grisly sight. A city decorated in the wet and twisted remains of its people. Their flesh merged with the brick and mortar of the very city they refused to vacate. The king's remains flapped in the wind atop the highest tower. His body, a mangled tapestry of skin, viscera, and bones. His screams echoing into the distance. That day, the third son of the Prince of Snakes came to be known. Lunak, the living storm, destroyer of the legendary city of Bazaran. Lunak, that's, that's the name Agruel mentioned when we told him about what happened at the second research site. Oh, yes. Lunak is said to still wander, Gion an eternal storm of torrential madness. You see, most believe that the Prince of Snakes lay with the fabled storm deity, Rudvera, who then gave birth to their only son. But other, less whispered stories say there's more to that tale. 
Certain mystics believe Rodvira went mad from the coupling, and so, in her lunacy, draped all of Gion in perpetual storms. Then she passed the same madness onto her son, Lunak, the Raving Storm. Jesus. Who? Oh, uh, nothing. Just a, uh, just a figure of speech, I suppose. The group, led by the Mad Bloodkeeper, slowly opened one of the doors to see they were just outside the main foyer, where they had initially entered. So close to escaping, the troops snuck quietly into the massive room, muffling their footsteps as best they could. Just as the group was halfway to the large oaken doors, the only barrier between them and the outside, the fires that once only dimly lit the room suddenly bloomed. The darkness retreated into the shadows now cavorting across the walls, which had drastically multiplied beyond their meager four. Several deformed creatures, some as large as the hulking thing that had visited Wesley's room, stood between them and the exit. A mass of heaving flesh, teeth, claws, and bone, all with slightly different symmetries. For his part, Esmir smiled maniacally, not an inkling of concern on his face. He simply looked back at Wesley and his friends. This may get... messy. You might want to find cover until I'm done. The three men didn't waste time, hurrying back down a series of hallways, frantically looking for a place to go. It's best if we split up. Why, 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 why the hell would we do that? Because if they catch all of us, then we're as good as dead. At least, if we're separated, those they didn't find can help free the others. I suppose. Now, I'm going to go into this room. Vorin, why don't you take the one in the west corridor? And Wesley, you take the one down the hall. Vorin and Wesley nodded and went their separate ways. The torches on the walls fluttered chaotically, causing the world to flicker in and out of existence. Wesley found his way to the room Moffat had mentioned and rushed in. Blackness enveloped the room, except for some sparse lighting from a grim chandelier, a thing of bone and candle-filled skulls. Wesley crept further in, soon realizing the space was quite vast. His footsteps carried hefty echoes as he searched for somewhere to hide. A grotesque and giant throne appeared in the gloom, and he froze. He knew where he stood. Running back to the door, he tried to fling it open, but it was locked. Then a voice from the dark. I heard you and the Bloodkeeper had escaped. It seems humans are more resourceful than I first expected. Fragile little things that you are. Before Wesley knew it, something collided with him, sending him careening across the room. He slammed hard against the stone wall. Massive, wet sounds of the thing known as Gothamir grew closer. It's not a mistake. I will make again. The horrible creature came into view, looming large over Wesley. Its many mouths gaped and gnashed, armed with rows of serrated teeth, while claws from a multiplicity of hands twitched and stretched, eager to flint the skin from his now shivering body. Numerous demonic eyes drew from various hollows in its body, all staring eagerly at him. 
Tentacles and alien appendages began to wrap around Wesley and squeeze. His bones groaned from the mounting pressure. Just as he was about to black out, something else came into view. At first, it was just a shadow, a vague semblance of features trying to cohere. But once it came into focus, Wesley's mind struggled to accommodate it, to assemble its contents into a sane whole. Its shape was all-encompassing, yet devoid of any cogent symmetry, a violation of known biology. As it crept closer, eyes from forgotten eons blazed into being. Somewhere deep within its unfathomable depths, Wes thought he could sense a smile. Just as the weak light fell upon the thing, its bulk overshadowing even that of Gothamir, its full aspect finally became clear to Wesley. He tried to scream, but consciousness failed him, and all went black. Salvatore swore to himself that he would not run away again, as he grabbed more magazines for his M16 and clipped another grenade to his belt. He saw Riva go down after being struck in the neck by a dart. Salvatore assumed the thing was laced with poison, some toxin that would slowly kill the man. However, once he'd composed himself after being chased and almost killed by some kind of mutant bear thing, he asked Riva how he managed to survive. As luck would have it, Male sayers were apparently immune to most poisons, their already volatile biology able to nullify its effects. So the dart only managed to knock him out, giving him a little nap. Still, it was enough time for those bastards to capture their comrades, their friends. Riva's plan was to go straight into that damnable town and burn it to the ground. But Salvatore convinced him to wait so he might come along. He could tell Riva didn't want or need his help. But he imagined Riva saw the desperation in his eyes and had decided to humor him. As for their strategy, it was simple. Kill everyone and everything that got in their way. If Riva was capable of half of what the others said he was, they might just stand a chance. When Salvatore asked him why he was so adamant about going in, the Melsayer said he had one mission, one sole obligation in this life, to protect his charge, Vorin. He would spend his last breath protecting the ink dragon, if need be. That was the duty of a minder. Salvatore wished he had the same determination, the same fearlessness. But the truth was, he was scared shitless. He'd never seen actual combat, never been eye to eye with his enemy, or fought for his life. Even back home, he'd never really gotten into any fights, unless you counted grade school. And even then, he'd gotten his ass kicked. The only thing he had going for him was that he was a crackerjack shot. The higher-ups even said he would be a good candidate for sniper school. But he didn't want that kind of life, the kind where he killed some unsuspecting person while they were eating their breakfast or waving goodbye to their kids. Salvatore slammed a magazine into his rifle, swung a duffel of ammunition over his shoulder, and nodded at Riva. Riva signed to the shaking man, his eyes concerned. He's ready as I'll ever be. Salvatore thought he saw a smile beneath the man's mask as the Malsair grabbed Moffat's ornate lantern and tied it to his waist. Starting toward the end of the tree line, he turned once more and signed to Salvatore. Oh, oh don't worry about that. <laughs> I, uh, I'm definitely staying behind you. Riva nodded, 
when the two men made their way past the last of the trees and toward the dark town that would soon see hell visited upon it. Grimland is a Maltopia production. Today's episode was written by Stephen Anslone. The episode was edited by Walker Kornfeld. Sound production and editing was performed by Stephen Anzalone. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching Maltopia. That's M-A-E-L-T-O-P-I-A. And if you'd like to know more about Grimland and contribute to its nightmarish expansion, visit us at www.patreon.com forward slash Maltopia, where you can gain access to all sorts of art, mythologies, stories, and more. For more information about Grimland and the world of Maltopia, visit us at maltopia.com. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.